After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your co-host today, Becky Shrimpton. With me, once again, is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, Cam. Hey, Becky. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. We uh, we may sound a little different today because uh, I have been exiled to the wilds of North York for a little bit. <laughs> uh, you are at your home in beautiful, sunny, downtown basement suite, Toronto. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, But we are both fully equipmented mm. up in the ways that will make us sound good to the people on the podcast. Sure, it's just my brother, my brother and me style now. <laughs> oh, that's right. They do everything over Skype now, don't they? Yeah. Uh, I think Last Podcast on the Left does that too. I think this also says a lot about our podcast listening habits. Sure, it's true. <laughs> it says that I'm weirdly picky about this kind of thing, but our listeners shouldn't be. I don't think so. It doesn't bother me, honestly, the sound quality. Yeah. As long as the information is good, I'm like, great. Yeah, and I mean, it's true. We also know that the bar is don't eat chips into the microphone. <laughs> so. I already ate my chips. I came home early, ate some chips, and got on mic. You are a true professional. That's what we have to say. Thank and we're going to bring on another true professional. I'm very excited to have her on. Her name is Sarah Chibber. She is a film academic coming to us from somewhere also not in Toronto. Where are you coming from, Sarah? So I actually, I am in Toronto. I'm squatting <gasps> in my partner's office, but um, technically I'm at Queen's. Of so. course. <laughs> I love that you're just sitting in your partner's office, just lurking, yeah. doing a podcast. You're studying film. What exactly are you working on right now? So my degree is actually in cultural studies, but my background is in cinema. And uh, my focus, unlike anything we're talking about today, is in South Asian popular cinema. So oh, wow. different, completely, I mean, maybe not left field, but uh, a different branch of the cinematic tree, as it were. I don't know. I feel like we can definitely draw some comparisons in uh, cultures that were sort of influenced by other culture and left to grow. Yes. Because like, <laughs> how much are you dealing with in that with like colonialism and all that sort of influence? How much is organic? Um, you know, there's a lot to be said about uh, colonial influences and the politics uh, inherent within those systems and how they feed into popular cinema. So yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a whole lot of that. And uh, in terms of whether or not it's organic, I don't know. You picked a film today that is deeply about colonialism. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I, is it possible to watch a Quebecois film without having at least a vague understanding of the role of the Catholic Church within it? And separatist Quebec. I mean, short answer from me is no. But <laughs> I mean, I'll take the counterpoint. Um, I, I absolutely think that it undergirds um, most of what I know about uh, Quebecois cinema. Certainly, yeah. Now, what film did you pick today? So, today I am uh, hoping we can talk about Jean-Claude Lausanne's Leolo. Leolo, this, uh, I just did an interview with Ken Scott, and uh, he picked this as his favorite Canadian film. It's a big deal. It screened at Cannes in 1992. Apparently, it is notorious for not winning the Cannes Prize because the director made a very inappropriate pass to Jamie Lee Curtis, who was on the jury, saying, I want to do to you what the boy did to the piece of liver. Yes, this is what they say, although... Um, there is a counter argument. I think that Roger Ebert said, or someone um, like that said that they, they were iffy on whether or not that happened, just given what they knew about Jamie Lee Curtis and how they felt she would hold her own and respond to Lozon. So 
Mm. Maybe, maybe some variant um, mountain of salt or grain. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I figure she'd clock him. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't seem like she'd withhold her prize. It seems like she'd just punch you in the face. <laughs> really? Because I feel like the ultimate revenge would be like, Artie boy wants his can prize. Guess mm. what? Not happening. You True. know what? I I see both. I totally see both. I see her punching him <laughs> and holding back the prize. Oh, you are correct. She is a wow. woman who has dealt with a lot of bull honky <laughs> in her life. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> now, of all the Canadian films you could have picked, why did you pick this one? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I have feelings about it um, that have lingered. I don't know. You've probably heard this before about other people in other films. I love movies. I've seen a lot of movies. I'm happy to report. And um, there's something about this movie that has stayed with me. So I actually saw this when it came out um, and I would have been in high school. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, probably sneaking my way into um, one of the festival cinemas to watch <laughs> it. I did that a lot uh, back in the day. And uh, thank you. Thank you, festival proprietors, for <laughs> allowing me to sneak my my child butt in. But uh, this movie has lingered in ways and sort of really stayed and lasted and made this kind of really deep impression on me. And so I was glad to have the opportunity to come on the show and, and, you know, more so to talk about this movie. Now, just briefly, can you give us a description of what this is about? It kind of has some twists and turns. So just a little brief synopsis. So the tiniest nutshell synopsis would be that this is the story of a boy named Leo Lozon growing up, a Quebecois boy growing up in a working class neighborhood, specifically Myland in Montreal. And the time period is not explicitly specified, but it's most likely 60s era Quebec. Now, Cam, what is your experience with this film? Um, it's one that I mostly knew as like a famous, big, important movie. Uh, and I I think we've talked before, I got, I got pretty into the kind of Quebecois film boom of the late 90s, early 2000s. So I, I stumbled across it then and basically was just... I was really taken with it, the visuals and just the insanity of it. I was a big uh, Jean-Pierre Junet guy at the time, too. And it has a lot of that kind of style. Uh, But, I mean, it's disturbing in a lot of ways. So I think that a lot of that stuck with me, too. It wasn't necessarily a movie I liked. uh, But it's like it's undeniably uh, kind of a crazy spectacle and, and sticks with you. And I only recently rewatched it as an adult this year, actually. What is it about the imagery that gets to you guys? Because I feel like there's this frantic imagery with the story almost being secondary to it. Do you guys think that's true? Yeah, I definitely agree. And I have to say Cam's um, Jeunet reference really um, resonates with me. So there's something about the spectacle that is, I mean, to me, honestly, overarching, right? Like the images. Uh, I'll give you an example, if I may. Um, the scene with uh, young Leo toilet training in the bathroom and <laughs> Jeanette Renault on the toilet um, trying to encourage her baby and really, it's painfully awkward, right? Like the entire sequence is really fraught with emotion. You have a crying baby and this loving mother who, in her enormity, is both a presence of, I think, love and affection, but also great terror, right? And there's something about the way that they filmed that shot, you know, kind of ochre tones and also just the shot relations between baby and, and mama that... Uh, just stay with you. I don't know. Is that just me? 
just looking at this movie like it's the thing where having watched it again after not having seen it for about a decade uh, I was struck by the the same things you know narrative weaknesses certainly and I'm happy to talk about it but the looking it's something else but (laughs) you know Sarah I'm actually on the same page as you and I couldn't help but think of the film Sweet Movie while I watched this which we talked about earlier on the podcast where there is so much incredibly graphic disturbing imagery which still has like a bizarre twisted sense of humor to it much like this has but that one I felt I would get little glimpses of like oh okay I get it and this one I'm like okay can I sit back and enjoy this a little bit more in terms of just the spectacle and the feast for the eyes I don't feel like I'm being constantly intellectually challenged even though I am yeah I definitely hear that like I think that Sweet Movie is a really interesting example and a really really interesting comparable I mean one because we're looking at like an avant-garde kind of comedy drama right from a much earlier, can we say much earlier time period? Like 20, is it about 20 yeah. years earlier than yeah. uh, Leolo? And then it, Leolo for me is a kind of movie where, you know, at least in the, the first part of the film, um, as a viewer, you're sort of struck, or I was at least, vacillating between like, is it a comedy? I don't get it. Like, is it happy, funny? It's not. It's definitively not. <laughs> you know, there's so much of a grotesque that you want, or at least I wanted to to kind of make more palatable through some sort of humorous undercurrent. And Lausanne doesn't, he just is not giving us that, right? And I think that that partly is also why I find the film so riveting. Well, it's built also on potentially a semi-autobiographical frame. Mm-hmm. Like, his, a lot of his family was institutionalized throughout his life. His father was not well. Uh, he cast his own mentor, uh, who was a university professor Pierre Bourgeois as the word tamer. So uh, you see a lot of elements of that. And I almost wonder if you're watching someone's therapy session. You know what I mean? Like he's made a vision board and this is what this is as he tries to work through everything. Absolutely. And in fact, um, the one review that um, I recollect, and I know there, I mean, certainly there are probably a number of of, um, critical reviews, but for the most part, this film was released to, to a fair amount of acclaim. But one really notably critical review came from David Denby when uh, I think he was writing for the New York Times or it wasn't the New Yorker at the time, but it was a terrible review. And, and I think that to my recollection, that was the gist of it. Like he just could not get over the fact that this was Lausanne's attempt at, you know, I guess his own self-therapy and he hated it. But there like is that element of like self-indulgence that you definitely read in it, especially knowing mm-hmm. more about him. And he unfortunately died uh, far too young. I think he was 46 when he passed away in a plane crash. 43. Only, 43. Oh my goodness. And in a um, yeah, in a plane crash with his with his partner. And he'd only done one other film before this, Un Zou La Nuit, which is more of a thriller. So to get these two totally different films out of one person who was known as an enfant terrible is a bit like, all right, what did we miss? Like, was he going to be able to move beyond this or was this going to always going to be the magnum opus because he, he kind of purged everything in this one it's a really interesting question and i think that you know it's one that we're unfortunately left with because we'll never know right you know there are some folks who say that he turned down and uh and quite obnoxiously um hollywood work that he mm. chose to stay in quebec and do commercials or ad work or minor stuff and i don't know again how much of that is true like i you know, I've seen snippets online that refer to, to comments, that refer to comments about this. But given what we do know about him as, I think, a veritable enfant terrible, it's not impossible that this was his big project, you know. And 
I mean, maybe at some point he would have worked it out and decided to do something else. And I think it's unfortunate, um, certainly, that we'll never know. But uh, I think that a lot of his life is is rather mysterious, right, just in terms of what compelled him to do uh, what he did. And, and you're right to kind of compare um, Night Zoo with this film. And, you know, it, it's very different stuff. Now, Cam, I have to ask you, because you and I have been on a journey with our Quebecois film watching. Sure. <laughs> and <laughs> something we often comment on is that uh, Quebecois films have a different sense of humor. Often it's heightened. Uh, there's more um, wordplay. There's more spectacle to it. Do you think that added to this in the fact that you were getting much more visual playtime and maybe people saw it more as depth as opposed to slapstick? Yeah, I don't know. There is this is a weird one. I think uh, what you were saying, Sarah, about the uh, the grotesque stuff. That's what strikes me as kind of like you know Rabelais French intellectual things. It's one of those things where even when they're showing stuff that is very kind of like foul, you're kind of it's turned intellectual merely because it's not something you see in film that much. There's something like that, like it's pushing the boundaries. Uh, but you're right, it is more visual than anything else. And it is one where I feel like I understand the jokes that are being made uh, compared to some of the wordplay we've seen, even some of the Quebec popular cinema. It was a lot easier to follow. And I think I think I was consuming it the way he would want me to consume it, you know? Were you high? Yeah, no, no. Uh, I think if I was high, I would be terrified of this film. I will say, I, I think it's a really important flag to look also at this kind of comic literary antecedent because so much of this movie is about words, right, and literature. Like the, the film arguably is centered around that novel, um, La Vallée, the Swallower Swallowed, the René Ducharme book. That's mm-hmm. the book that he reads throughout the film, right? And this is the other thing that I think figures throughout like this. Uh, I mean, even though I agree it's a visual thing for me, um, I do think that there is, at least for Lausanne, this real importance of the word and words and literature that, you know, is an undercurrent, obviously, word tamer, etc., throughout the film. And also, I guess, mirrors what I would love to, to kind of, I don't know, write a paper on one day if I could uh, about the uh, politics at play, right? Just in terms of what you were talking about, Becky, in Quebec cinema, you know, like the book that he's reading comes out of The Quiet Revolution, but so much of this film looks like it's filmed to be during the Duplessis years. And, you know, I, I think it'd be difficult for anybody to deny that uh, Lausanne is working through those politics, especially the Pierre Bourgeau thing. Um, Bourgeau was a real Quebec nationalist. He was part of the RIN before he joined the PQ and, uh, you know, would have been, I think, obvious to viewers in in Quebec as a a kind of symbol of a particular kind of Quebec nationalism. And I, I think you're totally right. Like making sure that you like I wouldn't pick up those view, those uh, cues as an Anglo viewer. For me, I start to notice all the Catholicism references, like uh, taking the laxatives like you would take communion or even the moment where the mother hits the grandfather over the back of the head with a frying pan to stop him from drowning the child. He spreads his arms out like in the crucifixion before he falls. And you're just like, all right, none of this can be can be not intentional because it just has such a heavy 
influence on it. And so many of the other movies we've watched have really had that that shadow over top of it, especially it's just such a an image heavy religion. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, I think that uh, there are so many sequences that allude to you know, Lausanne's view or, or experience with Catholicism that run through the film, you know, even in the very beginning of the film, when he disavows his Quebecois identity, but then by the same token, he's sort of obsessed with Italy. And, and you could make an argument about the relationship of these two um, societies that I think, I mean, culturally were at least for, for you know, a long period of time driven by uh, the the culture of Roman Catholicism, right? I don't know if that's also fair to say, but I think that there's an interesting parallel with regard to how he rejects the one to fantasize about the other. And I'm wondering if that's why it did as well as it did it can, because there is like this overarching thing when you deal with uh, French cinema in general, Italian cinema, Spanish cinema, that you are dealing with a lot of uh, Catholic guilt in a lot of those places. So it tends to hit just as hard there as it does here. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, when I went back to read um, the reviews again, there's this real sense, like when you watch the movie, it it is so out there. I think that it's fair to say you know, my colloquial term would be bonkers. So much of it is bonkers, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're reading a review in the New York Times, the LA Times, Variety, Sight and Sound, and and all of these reviewers are finding common thread, right? Like, what's the commonality? I'm not saying that they're all Catholic or that they all grew up under, you know, like the tyrannical disposition of like a premier like Maurice Duplessis. But there's something about Leolo's experience that they were able to share or that was compelling enough that they were able to make a case for it. And I, de- I definitely think it goes back to what you're suggesting, Becky. Like, I think that there is this kind of impetus to to work through culturally this sense of a particular kind of religiosity and our experiences. You know, it's not really a building Roman. Like, I wanted to call it that. But I don't think it's fair to say that it is. I mean, it's Leolo working through. It's Leo working through his sense of um, family and religion and society, but uh, I don't know where he's taking it. I also think this is one of the very few films I've seen in a long time where the narration is necessary. Because if you were just receiving all of these images with no context of this is the thoughts of a very intelligent young boy, you would just be kind of adrift, uh, especially understanding what the point of view is that this uh, he's what, like nine, nine or 10 throughout most of this. So I think so. Yeah. yeah. So you're getting the, the fact that this okay, he doesn't know that much about the world. He just knows what he sees in the everyday. Uh, he only has one book to read. He doesn't really watch television as far as we know, but he's behaving and has interests like an adult uh, in, in terms of his vices, in terms of his his mature maturation, like over sexuality. So if you don't have that narration to sort of add the extra element of analysis and intellectualism to it, this could just be base and incredibly low and just straight vulgar. But I think adding that narration gives you that extra little bit of height. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that, um, you know, whatever critiques folks may have um, with regard to Lausanne's working out his, uh, you know, psychic turmoil, <laughs> I think that uh, the, the, narr- 
the narration, yeah, is definitely quintessential to enjoying the film or at least having an experience of the film that makes sense for, for more of us than not. Now, something I have to ask both of you that I'm curious about. So I always like to think about the women when I watch films, especially one that has as many in this as it does. And I don't think this passes the Bechdel test. Um, <laughs> probably but, not. <laughs> probably not. I mean, it gets close because you have the one angelic blonde female doctor talking to the mom, but they're talking about a boy. So it's like, nah, not really. But uh, there is something where like the women are kind of put on pedestals, even though terrible things are happening to to them uh and then the boys are all just straight garbage uh, what, do you, what do you guys think about that i honestly think it goes back to the catholicism piece i really do like i think that there's a madonna whore thing that happens um throughout the film and in each case right like women are venerated you know i mean i think that um with that binary it's easy to sort of say good bad but if you look at it deeply like there is a veneration for the female form um, that comes up, you know, with like the good woman versus the woman who is perceived to be not so good, right? And so, you know, you have Jeanette Renault as the mother who is grand, right? She's voluptuous. She's She fills entire shots. And, you know, they, they don't really develop her character as much as I wish they, they he could have. Um, and then the counterpoint would be Bianca, I think, right? And then in between, you have the sisters and Regina, the prostitute or the woman that um, is akin to, I guess, the sex worker um, during his sort of adolescence or his later, you know, teen, or teen years. So in all respects, I mean, it's kind of, they're, they're certainly, and then, then there's the psychiatrist, right, who comes in. And has these pained moments, very brief moments, I think, where she tries to get him to open up. But uh, none of the characters, I think, are really flushed out. Um, there's one thing that I thought was interesting, and, and that was his sister in the hospital who speaks to him, clutching the, the toy, the stuffy, mm. the baby doll. Did, did either of you recollect that sequence? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, where she's like, they take my, they took my baby away, right? And you're, you're, I, I wondered then whether or not, uh, and this goes back to the political piece, whether or not um, that might have been true, right? Because we know that that was a thing that happened, and um, especially during the Duplessis years with the Duplessis orphans. And so I wondered if that was like one way that Lausanne was giving a little bit of a voice to women who had none or whose stories had been elided, um, but all too brief, right? Like, I mean, definitely, you know, big critique for me in this film is the the lack of women's voices, or at least more of an in-depth voice for, for women, given the, the female characters. I would agree. And I think, and especially just because I think those characters are more interesting. Um, and especially if you're going to cast like the godmother of all pop music in uh, Quebec and then make her the mama and like she just becomes a visual representation of all things mama and she doesn't really get as much of a voice of herself. She's just there as a catalyst. But again, you're seeing everything from the point of view of the little guy. So depending on how much time he was spending with both his sisters, because both his sisters were in the, in the hospital all the time, Right. Right. So that's, that's true. That's always the issue. But again, just write it in a different way. <laughs> that's, all, yeah. that's all you have to do. Uh, Cam, what did you think? I I mean, I guess my only thing is, because there's plenty of like icky sequences, but I agree that everybody's kind of, even the, the 
a lot of the male characters are kind of caricatures. So that's not so bad. And I think the other thing is like, whatever angle he might be coming on for the women, like clearly his message is that men are despicable. Like the problem (laughs) is beyond the Catholic church. Like the problem is masculinity and, and just like, yeah, he he has as much to say about how every man is awful and and seemingly the older you get, the worse you get. So yeah, I don't know. I agree. Except for the word tamer. Yeah, true. He seems like he might be all right, but I also don't, you don't get to see him with women very often. No, (laughs) but he's there for the, for the support of intellectualism and the support of the imagination, right? True. Right. Which you can't help but love him for. Uh, All right, guys, we are at favorite moments. Uh, I guess I can go. I mean, I think uh, there's kind of two sequences that stick with me a lot. The first being, I guess the most obvious because it's on the, most of the posters is the weird, her being impregnated by a tomato. It's so great. Uh, So great. So gross and weird and that's kind of the perfect way to start the movie but I actually find uh, the thing that sort of blew my mind the most when I was young and I really remembered was the way that the brother is just replaced with a bodybuilder that that this kid just like the scene changes and the kid is still the kid but it's played by this adult bodybuilder and then how bizarre it is to see that guy get like beat up by children and cry and stuff and that's that's just such a weird powerful image i'm still not a hundred percent sure everything about it i mean i think i kind of get the broad strokes but yeah that that part really stuck with me yeah the charles atlas fail yeah <laughs> um, this may may seem a little bit uh off because it's a film called leolo but i'm gonna pick a sequence um that features his brother Fernand also, and it's the Denis Arcand cameo. Mm. And I, I love the sequence. So it's um, the mother and uh, Fernand pre, pre-transformation, so while he's, he's not a bodybuilder yet, um, meeting with the ordinateur. And uh, he has a picture that he has um, submitted to school or to somebody, and it's a blank sheet of paper. And the, the drawing is titled drawing. I can't even call it that. The project is, is called rabbit between snowy mountains or something <laughs> white rabbits yeah. between. Yeah. I, I love that. And um, Jeanette Renault looks at the piece of paper after essentially her 14 year old is getting kicked out of school for always. And she's holding the blank paper and he turns it right to, to portrait. Like he, <laughs> just, he tilts it and then they look at each other and they nod. And I'm, I, can never get over that sequence. I think it's lovely and terrible and lovely. Uh, I think for me, my favorite, and this is, I think, I would say this is possibly the darkest part of the movie where he attempts to kill his grandfather and he's got the noose around his grandfather's neck and he's got the whole counterweight thing going on and he's dangling them. And I think what broke me, the part I was like, okay, this is all really upsetting and really disturbing, but they have like a perfect chastity bubble belt on the grandfather so you can't actually see his dick. It's just straight dick bubbles. And I was just like, they took the time to do that. This is one of the most disturbing things I think I've seen as a child start like t- committing a grand patricide, I guess it would be. Um, and there's just like this perfect corona of dick bubbles. And I was like, that's what you were worried about. That's maybe excellent. Yeah. I was also struck by the uh, the maintenance of the dick bubble. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, Even it's, how long the scene is. Yeah. Sure. It just keeps going. And you're like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> but fascinating. And like, yeah, and the, the entire blaming on the older generations of this is your fault, right? Everything would be fine if it weren't for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I also like how he constantly references the fact that he's not such a bad guy. Yeah. Like he'll say, like, I, I'm going to I'm going to kill him. It's not really a bad guy. <laughs> no, he's fine. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. Oh, uh, no. I, I also very much love that uh, Leolo only won thir- three Genie Awards this year, as opposed to Unzulu uh, La Nuit, which won 13 Genie Awards. And this got beat for Best Picture by Naked Lunch. And I was like, what a year for weird, surrealist Canadian <laughs> <Definitely>. films. <laughs> Definitely. Ugh, I love it. All right, Syrah, that's everything we've got. Uh, can people find you and your work online? You know, you could possibly find me if you uh, look up cultural studies at Queens and you uh, dig deep. I'm, a, I'm there somewhere. <laughs> you write things. They're going to be published. I do. I, do. I hope so. I sure hope so. <laughs> How about you, Cam? Um, I am online at CamFest on Twitter, and uh, you can find a lot of my writings and things at Hollywood Suite. Uh, yeah, it's hollywoodsweet.ca. Fabulous. And as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters at Liz Shrimpton. That's the masculine Liz Shrimpton over there. Uh, I think that's everything. Come visit us on the website. Come chat with us on Twitter at RCMPod. That is everything. So, Sarah, do you want to go get a moose head? I, do, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.